So I'm not Andy Wildman. I am Lucas. I am one of the pastors here. I told the first service that Andy was out of town, but then I saw him wandering the hall, so I'm not sure exactly what I'm doing up here. <laughs> Seems like a lot of effort. Um, my family is a baseball family. We love baseball. It goes back several generations. My great-grandfather played for the Pittsburgh Pirates. It's pretty cool. Pitched against guys like Ty Cobb. And uh, so we watch a lot of baseball. My kids play a lot of baseball. And uh, not too long ago, I took them up to a Frisco Rough Riders game, which is great for kids. It's a great environment. As we were walking around, I saw on the wall some of the, the more famous players who have come through the organization. And of course, you see that at all the stadiums. If you're at the Rangers Stadium, you're going to see things uh, put up on the walls about Nolan Ryan and Pudge Rodriguez and some of those guys. Right, but here we saw Eden Kinsler and Elvis Andrews and other guys like that. And for whatever reason, even though I've seen this at every stadium I've ever been in, suddenly it just struck me in a completely new way. And I thought, this is incredible. There are some players whose talent is so extraordinary, whose impact on the game is so remarkable that these teams actually want to be associated with them. Like they go out of their way to let you know they played for us. Now maybe that doesn't strike you as remarkable, but let me explain. Um, many of us grow up wanting to play for this team or that team. When we're little, we dream of playing for the Cowboys or the Rangers or the Mavericks or, or the U.S. women's soccer team that's doing so remarkably well right now. Maybe someone dreams of playing for the Stars, but that's not me. I have no idea what that's about. Not a hockey, not a hockey guy, okay. Right, but almost none of us ever see those dreams realized, but a few do. There's a few that do. And they are the elite. I have a friend, a good friend, who played for the Yankees. I got another guy who I know who played for the Red Sox. I haven't introduced them. And when I met my friend Chuck and I found out that he played for the Yankees, understand that his connection to that team, his association with that team, changed my estimation of him as a baseball player. Because it's one thing for somebody to say, oh yeah, I play baseball, but then when he says, no, I played for the Yankees, like, that's incredible. He didn't play for the Longhorns, or the Aggies, or even the Marlins. He, he played for the Yankees, the New York Yankees, that's incredible. And yet, you've never heard his name. But there are some players whose talent is so incredible, whose achievement is so impactful in the game, that the team says, no, we want you to know that they played for us. So if you go to see a Mavericks game, they haven't retired his jersey yet, but one day you're gonna see Dirk Nowinski's jersey hanging up there because the team is essentially saying, we are the team of Dirk. Dirk makes us look good. As an organization, our reputation is enhanced we look better because Dirk once played for us. It's why if you go to the Cowboys Stadium, you see the ring of fame because the Cowboys, even though this is such an incredible organization, has been around for so long, has won so much, and yet they want you to know we are the team of guys like Aikman and Staubach and Smith and Irving and Haley. Because those guys, they make the Cowboys look good. See, that's next level. And what I find so extraordinary is that when we come to Scripture, God keeps revealing himself in association with people. 
that time and time again you see God saying, I am the God of this person or that person. That there are some people that we read about in scripture whose lives are so extraordinary, whose impact is so remarkable that God says, I want you to know that I am their God and he names them. He associates his name with theirs. Like he might say to all of us, I am your God, that's great. But there's some that he says, I am the God of because they make me look good. His reputation among everyone else is enhanced because he's their God. So we're going to look at just one of those lives just for a moment in Hebrews 11, if you want to turn there. Because in scripture, one of the, the, the stars of the stars, the elite of the elite, if you will, is Abraham. You keep finding his name all over the place, and God keeps saying, I am the God of Abraham. It's like he wants everyone to know, I am the God of this guy, Abraham. If you were in the throne room of God and there were rafters, you can just imagine that Abraham's jersey is hanging right front and center. And so when we come to Abraham, though, you have to ask the question, like, why? What is it about this guy, Abraham? And when we come to Hebrews 11, the author singles him out, highlights Abraham as one of the heroes of the faith. And then he explains why. And look at what he says. Verse 8, Hebrews 11, 8. By faith, we're going to keep seeing this phrase over and over again. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. Okay, now stop there, because if you've never heard the story of Abraham, you're thinking, what's the big deal? He, he, he went somewhere? How hard is that? Okay, so we have to back up for a moment, and we have to go back to the book of Genesis, where God comes to Abraham with a promise. He says, Abraham, I want to bless you. I want to make your name great. I'm going to make you into a great nation, and I'm going to give you this inheritance, this land that is going to then be passed on to all of your generations. He says, Abraham, I have big, big plans for you, mind-blowing plans. There's just one thing, Abraham. I need you to leave home. Now, that might not sound that hard, because a lot of us have left home. Some of you are wishing your kids would leave home, right? How hard is it just to leave home? But understand that in the ancient, ancient, ancient Near East, leaving home was a big deal because home was everything. Abraham was from a, a little town called Ur, U-R, Ur. And that's where we can only assume his family was, his extended family. And your extended family, that's your economy, that's your safety, that's your security, that's whatever luxury you can enjoy. All of that is wrapped up in home. And so to leave home was to leave behind everything that you knew. And notice that David, excuse me, Abraham isn't called to a place. Instead, he is, he is called to a direction. God doesn't say, here, I want you to go to this city. He simply says, go somewhere. I'm going to lead you. And, and what does it say? He did not know where he was going. There's no GPS. There's no maps. He just says, God just says, follow me into the wilderness. Just follow me that way. And incredibly, Abraham packs up his stuff with his wife Sarah and his nephew Lot, and they just start going that way, wherever that is. See, that is next level faith. And the only thing more incredible than the fact that Abraham set out was that he never turned around. Because I don't know about you, but it was, give me a few days walking in the wilderness, and I'd be like, Abraham, hello, can we turn around now? Because it's a lot of sand and rocks and hot 
And we don't know where our next meal is going to come from. There, there's no exits. Pull off and get a burger. You know, you don't know where your next meal is going to come from. If, if bandits come to attack you, you don't call 911. You just fight. That's it. So Abraham, why, why are we out here? Like, we don't even know where we're going. Let's go back. Remember Ur? Ur was nice. I mean, the shopping and the restaurants and the nightlife. I mean, it was just, that was the good life. Abraham, can we please go back to Ur? Because Ur, and that's where it was at. And Abraham says, no, we're just going to keep going. Look at, look at how he describes this in verse 9. By faith, there's that phrase again. By faith, Abraham made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, his descendants, who were heirs with him of the same promise. Why? For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Given the choice between going back to Ur and having everything that he could see, everything that he knew, all of his safety and security and all of that, and, and living in a tent in the promised land, Abraham said, this rock looks nice. Let's stay here. Abraham believed so deeply in the promises of God that he was willing to risk everything that he could see, everything that he could hold on to for a future that he could not see. An eternal kingdom that God was building. And he said, I'm not giving that up. That's next level faith. And it's not just Abraham. If you have your Bibles and you're looking in Hebrews 11, you begin to see all these names that the author is going to single out and highlight and say, these are men and women. These are heroes of the faith. And almost by every name, there's this little phrase, by faith, by faith, by faith. And so you've got Abel and Enoch and Noah, and he, he mentions Sarah down here, and then you flip over, and there's Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses, and, and then down to Rahab and Gideon, and on and on and on. And in the middle of this, the author stops to make a comment. In the middle of this list, he stops, and he says something that catches me every time. Every time I read it, he says this, verse 16, therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God. God is not ashamed to be called their God. That should take your breath away. I, I don't know how you feel about you, but I can tell you that there are days, times when I certainly feel ashamed of me. And yet here we have the God of the universe who knows them better than they know themselves, the God who created each and every one of them, and yet he's saying, I am not ashamed of these people. In fact, I am proud to be associated with these people, with, with these men and women, these heroes of the faith. Why? Because of their faith. Because of their faith. Look at what it says, verse 13. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted they were aliens and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, verse 16, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. 
And therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. See, that is next level faith. These are men and women who said, we want the promises of God and we refused to compromise on the promises of God. And yet, did you notice they didn't even receive the promises of God fulfilled in their lifetimes? They never saw them. And yet they refused to give up. They refused to compromise. They refused to settle for everything that the world had that they could be offered. Right? All the riches of Amazon that Amazon advertises to us, whatever your Google ads pops up, Whatever inheritance Instagram is promising, they said, no thanks, hard pass. We don't want any of that because they're looking for something more. They're looking for something better, a heavenly country, a kingdom without end. See, that's next level faith. Have you ever known anyone with this kind of faith? Have you ever spoken with somebody and you could just tell they had this kind of faith? It's awkward because those people are a little off. It's like they don't see the world the way the rest of us see the world. They're just not quite normal. And frankly, it's a little disconcerting when you're having a conversation with them because the things that they value don't seem to be the things that, that I value, that we value. See, we spend a lot of time talking about our castles, don't we? And our kingdoms that we're building. And we're Texans, so we're subtle about it. But we, we want people to know. Like, this is the vacation I'm taking. This is the house that I've got. This is the job I've got. This is the career. This is whatever's going on. I want, and I want you to be impressed. And they, these people, though, you're having that conversation and they look at you as if, that's it? Come on, you'd be impressed. Look at this castle that I've built. Look at this, this kingdom that I've built and the little moat and, and the drawbridge. I mean, this is nice. Look what I've built. And they, nothing. They don't seem to get it. I had the privilege of getting to know a couple of doctors, medical doctors, specialists in their field. And they live in one of the most persecuted and dangerous countries in the world to be a Christian. And they use their medical expertise as a way to make inroads for the sake of the gospel. And not only that, but they live next to, right on the border of another country that's even more dangerous and even more persecuted. And so they use their medical expertise to get into that country and they do all of this knowing that at any time, the police could come and could kick down their door and arrest them and take them away to be tortured, interrogated, and even just disappear like we'd never hear from them again. And when you sit down with people like this, as I've had the privilege of doing, like at some point you just have to ask the question, why? I mean, you just, you just have to know. So I, I'm sitting there at lunch with them, and I said, you, you just got to tell me, why would you do this? Because let's, let's just state the obvious. You're doctors. You're, you're specialists in your field. You could have anything in the U.S. Like, move out of that country back here, and you can have the houses and the cars and the vacations, and your kids can have that kind of education. Like, why, what are you thinking? Why wouldn't you do that? And they looked at me as if they didn't understand the question. I'm sorry, Lucas, I'm not sure what you're saying. And I said, look, I've seen your apartment. You showed me a picture of your apartment. It's this ratty, horrible little place in this city where 
It is literally a health risk to live. You live there. Have you seen Highland Park? You could come to Highland Park. You could do that. And I'll never forget what she said. She said, I've never seen the point. She said, why would we invest in a house when we're investing in a mansion just to come? And I thought, I'm out of my league. See, frankly, it is disconcerting to speak to people like that. It is unnerving to listen to people like that. And I think that one of the reasons is because deep down, many of us in places that we don't want to admit, we're terrified that maybe, just maybe, just maybe, they're onto something. That they get something and we just don't. And I know some of you are thinking, well, they're missionaries. Like that's a special category, they're, they're missionaries. In fact, I hesitated to even use this example because I knew some of you would write it off. Well, they're missionaries, that's a special, they're super spiritual people. Can I tell you something? I've known a lot of missionaries, I've been a missionary. There's nothing special about missionaries, except this. They said yes when God called. That's it. And in fact, that's really what faith is. It's when God says, follow me, and we just say yes. And you don't have to become a missionary. You don't have to cross an ocean to say yes when God calls. It's true, God might be calling some of you to be missionaries and to cross the ocean, but can I tell you, it's probably far more likely that God is simply calling you to cross the street or to cross your hall, or to even cross your room. And he's just waiting for you to say yes. I think part of the problem is that we are far too smart to say yes to God. We're so good at understanding the situation better than God does, and then explaining to him why we just can't say yes right now. We are far too sane. We're not crazy like those people. We're far too wise to say yes to God. God, I know that you would love for me to do this. I, I feel that pull on my life, but, but that's a little crazy. God, you're gonna have to tell me how that works out before I'm gonna say yes to that. God, I, I'm gonna need a time that's a little bit more convenient. Maybe after my kids are grown, or in college, or maybe after we have kids, or maybe it's grandkids, kids get involved in there somehow, a lot. So God, just when it's a little bit more convenient, that would, be, that would be great. God, I know you want my energy. You see all the energy that I have, and, and I know you want me to, to like direct that. But man, I need my energy for this promotion. I've got to get this promotion. And then, then I'll redirect some of my energy. God, I know you want me to be more generous with my money, but as soon as I have a little more money, then I can be more generous. And my retirement's full. You know, what's that covered? Check that box. God, I know you want me to simply share my faith with my neighbor, but that could be awkward. I don't want to scare them off. I don't want it to be uncomfortable. Like, what if I mess it up so it's better if I just don't do that? In fact, just to be on the safe side, it might be better if I never even met them. See, we're, we're far too sane to say yes to God. And yet I absolutely believe that God invites every single person to take a next step.
I absolutely believe that God is inviting each and every one of us in this room right now, just as he invited Abraham to a life that we cannot begin to imagine, to riches that we can't begin to fathom, to have a life that is fulfilling beyond anything we could ever dream, to finally stop playing with mud pies and enjoy a vacation at the sea. And far too many of us say no. But Abraham, God said, follow me. You're not even going to know where you're going. And Abraham said, yes, I'm all in. What would that look like for you? What could that look like for you? What would it look like to give up something that you can see for a future that you can't see? What would it look like to, to risk something that you could absolutely use to build your own kingdom and instead leverage it for the sake of God's kingdom that will never end? What would that look like? And I'm not just talking about money here. In fact, in some ways, that's the last thing that I'm talking about because God doesn't care about your money. He cares about you. And he wants all of you. Your, your money, sure. But your house, your dog, your cat, your car, your kids, your gifts, your abilities, your time, your energy, your resources, your weaknesses. He wants all, he wants all of you. And so the question is, how much of you would you be willing to risk? For him, how much of you would you be willing to give up for him and for his kingdom? Can I just ask, when was the last time you invested in eternity? When was the last time that you, you said, I'm not going to do this for me? And instead of putting another spire on your castle, he said, I'm all in for the kingdom. I'm guessing that some of you, you're sitting there and you're like, I want that. I'm just praying and I'm trusting that God is pushing on some of your hearts even right now and you're thinking, I want that kind of faith. I want that kind of next level faith. I want to put it all on the line for the kingdom. I want to risk something, anything. But let's be honest, man, the, the the world gets such a hold on our hearts. So where do we begin? How do we even begin to do that? Where do we get started? Let me give you a couple of ideas, okay? The first is this, very simple. Ask yourself, where is the Holy Spirit pushing on my heart? I have no question in my mind that many of you right now, the Holy Spirit is pushing on your heart. Where could you take a risk? And he maybe has been pushing on your heart for some time. And he just keeps pushing and pushing and pushing. You keep ignoring, ignoring, ignoring. And so right now, you sense he's pushing on your heart. Yeah, that's what I need to do. God is calling me to that. And so all you need to do is simply say yes. Stop saying no and say yes. And if you don't sense the Holy Spirit moving in you in that way, then just pray. Ask God, Father, show me where you would have me follow. Show me what that looks like. Let your Holy Spirit push on my heart and make it where I cannot ignore you. Keep me up at night. Give me signs, whatever it takes. Show me what it looks like and I will say yes. But here's the other side of this, okay? And these aren't one and then the other. These are consecutive. Say yes to something. Even if you don't know exactly where God's leading, even if you don't have a perfect picture of how that's gonna play out and what that could be, even if you have no inkling Say yes and do something and then allow God to direct your steps. It is much easier for him to direct you when you're moving. 
I promise. And so do something. Say yes, even if you don't know what it is. Volunteer. Volunteer here at Grace. We've got all kinds of opportunities. You heard earlier Kevin was talking about Beach Club at, at Kaya Elementary. Volunteer there. They're going to have a lunch in just a little bit. Like there's opportunities right there. Just volunteer. Start a neighborhood Bible study or a neighborhood book club or a neighborhood movie club, or just use your gift of hospitality and say, you know what, for a month, we're gonna open up our house every Friday night and just invite everybody over and get to know them. Take the gifts that God has given to you and simply redirect them, say yes to that. Cancel cable. Bless yourselves by canceling cable, not to get direct TV, but to say, we're gonna take this money and we're gonna give it to somebody who's feeding the homeless here in Dallas. Or maybe some of you, and I'm not thinking of anybody because I don't really know where you all are. Sell your second home. I know some of you have them. And give the money to somebody who's planting a church and needs a space. If you need names, I can give you names. But say yes. Say yes. Here's the deal. Here's the little caveat. It's kind of big. You will never risk anything for Jesus and his kingdom until you understand that he risked everything for you. You will never risk anything for Jesus. It will be a charade. It will, it will be pretend. You will never truly risk anything for Jesus and his kingdom until you understand, until you see he risked everything for you. That that is the source of our faith. Hebrews 12, where that whole chapter 11 moves towards says this, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that, that hinders and the sin that so easily entails and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. That is a call to arms, a call to faith. But look what he says. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. See, don't just for a moment think that Jesus didn't risk anything for you. I mean, he's the son of God. He wasn't really risking anything. Don't kid yourselves. When he is sitting in the garden and he is waiting to be arrested and led off to be tried and humiliated and mocked and scorned and then to be nailed to a cross and to die for you and for me, he is risking everything. He's risking far more than you and I can possibly imagine because he's risking heaven itself. See, we do not follow a savior who doesn't know what it means to be afraid. We do not follow a savior who doesn't know what it means to risk. See, our question is this. The question that you and I need to wrestle with is this. Would we give up the world for heaven? Would we risk something that we cannot possibly keep for the sake of taking hold of something we could never lose. But Jesus' question was different. His question was, would you give up heaven for the world? That before creation, the Father came to the Son and said, would you give up everything? Would you risk everything? Would you empty yourself? Would you pour yourself out to save people who will ridicule you and fail you and mock you and ultimately kill you. And Jesus said, yes, I'm all in. When we see that Jesus risked everything, 
Then, when he says, follow me to a place that you won't even know where you're going, then we can say, yes, I'm all in. Um, James and Brian are going to come back up, and I'm going to pray for us. As they come up, um, you know, I walked in here this morning before any of the services began. I looked up at the rafters, and I thought, we don't hang any jerseys in here. Maybe we should. Because there have been heroes of the faith who've come through this church. I'm looking at some of them. And like me, I'm sure a lot of you can think of names. And it'd be helpful to see the names of people whose lives are worth imitating. But you do something for me right now. This is a little, a little different, but just right where you are, just close your eyes. Just close your eyes. And I want you just to imagine that you're in the throne room of God. And I know you can't actually imagine that. That's impossible. But just do your best. Humor me. You're in the throne room of God. And laid out before the throne are all the entire assembly of believers, every person who has ever placed their faith in Christ for the forgiveness of sins and for eternal life, like a sea out in front, as far as the eye can see. And and Jesus is handing out crowns. He's not raising jerseys, but he's handing out crowns, rewards. We don't know exactly what that will look like, but he gets to you. And he leans over and he whispers where only you can hear. He says, I'm so proud of you. Can you just, just imagine that for a second? Jesus says to you, I'm so proud of you. I love your faith. You said yes when so many said no. And then speaking to the entire assembly, to the entire congregation, so that every person who has ever lived could hear, he announces boldly and loudly, I am the God of. And he says, your name. Father, Son, and Spirit, we come before you. You are the triune God, the creator of all the Savior of the world, Jesus, you said yes. Lord, may it be said of us that we did not bring shame upon you, but that you looked at each one of us and said, I am not ashamed to be there, God. Lord, may we bring glory to you. May your reputation shine all the more brightly because of us, because we followed because we said yes, because Jesus, you risked everything for us and what, what choice did we have? We just had to follow. Or if there's anyone right now and the spirit is just pushing on their hearts and they just know this is where I'm being called and it's scary and I don't know what this looks like and I'm gonna have to take a risk. Lord, I pray that you would move and that they would say yes, not tomorrow, today. And they would take that next step towards the next level of faith. May it be said of us that we, we followed well. We persevered as we followed Jesus. It's in his name we pray, amen.